Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm an organizational development and belonging strategist. And I'm joined by the one and only Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DEI and people analytics. Rob, I, what's good this week? I have to correct you. There's actually another Rob Hadley. He's a uh, oh. record, he's a recording artist, and uh, really? you can Google him. And wait, yeah, like a singer? All this... this is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Do you have yeah. that skill set or ability? Or oh, I, I yeah, I can sing. He seems to be like a very uh, like a solid uh, guitar player though, and recording artist. So yeah. And I think they were the only only two Rob Hadley's in the entire world, other, other than that us. That is so good. Do you know what I just learned? What my sister did like a Google search on how many people in Massachusetts have the same last name as me, okay. as us, as our family. Yeah. Several people came up. When I'm saying several, I mean like probably under a hundred. Okay, <laughs> but but like more than we thought. And it wasn't just like South Asian first names. They have like. Irish first names and German first names. And I was like, this is amazing. Are these my distant relatives that I didn't there's know? There's probably I had? a few Nadia's. So there's no, there's no, there's no Nadia's. Didn't, I, she didn't see another Nadia butt, but there might be like across the world. I don't know about Massachusetts, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I thought that was funny. I like these conventions of like the Jim Smith convention where like yeah. thousands <laughs> of people show up and just. Do they have those conventions? They do. I don't know if it's the Jim Smith or it's like the Bill Smith or something like that. So that's great. And Rob, I always wanted to. Never mind. Wait, what? You always wanted to have the convention with you and this other person? <laughs> no, I. <laughs> no, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, women named Hadley, so I thought like it'd be oh. fun just to, to marry Hadley and be like Hadley, Hadley, Hadley. Oh yeah, that's right. that's funny. Rob, you recently last you last week um, you hosted a LinkedIn event with the one Aparna Ray, a session <laughs> called "What If We Stopped Relying on DEI Efforts to Address Inequities." How did it go? Just like high level, how do you feel like you know it went? It was great. It was somewhat cathartic, right? And we're going to talk about some of the things happening, more pushback within the DEI world, and so. You know, I had written also a newsletter a couple of weeks ago just talking about things that I'm focused on in terms of if DEI is going to go away or if there's going to be a rapid disinvestment mm -hmm. of DEI, then what are some options? What are some ways to get creative in terms of how do we accomplish the same things without some of the formal programs or even the budget? So obviously, I do a lot of data work. And so, you know, we're thinking a lot about proxies, how do we use data that we can use to make inferences about data that we can't use. And that's mm -hmm. one big thing. Yeah. But then the other, you know, thing that is available are laws and regulations. And right. Oh, so right. there's there's policy. Yep. <laughs> there are real laws on the books that are under enforced and people don't really necessarily uh, know that they exist or how to take advantage of them in terms of creating equity and uh, in, in workplaces. And so yeah. we just went through that and great discussion. We're going to talk in a couple of weeks about what kind of data that you would like. If you're trying to make a claim, if you're trying to 
have the information needed in order to file a formal claim yeah. or to sue people from a class action perspective as well. And so, oh, very. Okay. I'm like, very cool. Let's, <laughs> but you so know, let's, so, cool. you know, yeah. so I'm not a lawyer, as you know, but let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's sue some people. If, if we can. <laughs> yeah. Well, right? no, that's great. And I think when you have that date on the calendar, let's make sure we let folks know so they can attend that next session. Yes. Um, really important things to be discussing, particularly in this uh, climate we're in, right? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. What do we got cool. going on? Well, this thanks week? for mentioning that. Yeah. Uh, of so, this week on this little show here, Inclusive Collective, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the DEI pushback in tech companies. The Supreme Court does not back anti diversity efforts at an elite high school. We'll talk about a new venture fund for diverse startups. And a new organization, Nadia, you're going to be excited about this, joins the push for diversity. So we'll also rant, we'll also rave. But first, inclusion in business culture news, Nadia, we call this the deets. The deets. All right. So there was an article last week in the Washington Post titled, As DEI Gets More Divisive, Companies Are Ditching Their Teams. We've talked about this um, the last few weeks, but I, I wanted to bring it up because it was a recent article. So a lot of people probably, you know, read it. It yeah. talked about how soon after George Floyd's murder in 2020, companies obviously made these like loud and proud commitments to DEI, particularly racial inequities and gender inequities that we continuously see in the workplace. And now, almost four years later, we're seeing corporate America cut these DEI jobs, and um, some of them are starting to outsource them to consultants, you know, externally, people like you and me. So not, you know, not knocking it at all. Um, but we did talk about this, and you know, according to this article, uh, Revealio Labs and their data, the attrition rate for DEI roles has been about double that of non-DEI roles. We talked about Zoom cutting its internal DEI team. In addition, we have companies like Snap, uh, Meta, Tesla, DoorDash, Left, Home Depot, Wayfair, X, just some other organizations slashing their DEI teams by 50% or more. Some of them are not necessarily seeking external consultants or support. And then it also goes on to discuss how some of the CEOs, not all of them, but some of them are still keeping DNI central to values and to organizational goals and priorities. Yeah. Um, and then I just want to mention, like you had said earlier, like this comes admit amidst um, state legislatures across the U.S. have introduced at least 65 anti-DNI bills since 2023. Something that people overestimated hiring to like core DEI teams, right? We sure. see this often. Um and so, you know, that that's why, you know, we're we're setting um we're seeing these these roles be cut maybe also in in due to that. Thoughts, reactions. I mean, I, I like the article. Again, it seems like we'll talk about it a few more times, right? There is this, you know, and, and you were doing this work prior to 2020 as well, right? And so yep. The one interesting thing I thought about, the one comforting thing, and I was thinking about this as we were having that discussion this week, was the idea, you know, uh, we, we've had pushback before, right? So 2017 to 2019, there was a heck of a lot of pushback. Sure. And it was hard to get traction on, on in DEI at that time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so there is the cyclical nature of this. It will be, you know, the, the pendulum swings back and forth. 
the idea that these companies are going to abandon these principles would be self-immolation, right? Like we've talked about the fact that Latinos alone in the US, right, they were their own group, they would be the fifth largest economy in the world, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Black, Asian markets as well. So it makes no sense that you're going to uh, abandon reality and and not push for uh, greater diversity. And, you, right. and in order to do so, you're going to need to use tools like equity, uh, and you're going to have to have inclusive workplaces, right? So it's just a, it, you can you can run away from it. And certainly, I agree that uh, some of these companies did overhire, and they overhired in. In a lot of roles, not just which DEI they roles. tend to do in general. They, right. do. they do. They, <laughs> they tend to do in general, right? This is this like is it's their the way. economy flex, like right. It's the economy flex and all. A of that lot of organizations well. use layoffs as a form of workforce planning, right? They they say when times are good, we're going to overhire, and then we'll just lay people off as soon as things start to slow down. And so you're starting to see that with DEI as well as uh, a lot of other functions as well. So, you know, I, I think that this story is not written and, and, and we're definitely not at the end of DEI. We might be at the end of peak DEI in organizations, but uh, I think that it's just, it, it's not a credible position to say we're going to abandon DEI in our organization. Agree. And, you know, since we brought it up uh, a few weeks ago and bringing it up today, I think this is something we're going to keep our eyes on, just like this story or how interesting the story becomes, especially as we consider like upcoming elections, the socio-political landscape that's shifting or continues to shift, I should say. Um, and then, you know, discrimination lawsuits that come out of it. So you're right. I think that like this always ebbs and flows. Um, I don't think that this necessarily means at all that DE&I is going away. It actually might mean that we're embedding a lot of the practices and principles into everyday work, which is like what I strive for. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we'll just kind of keep our eyes on it and see how this evolves. Excellent. And now more on suing people. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, so, uh, so the Supreme Court, so the, our, our next story is the Supreme Court is not going to hear this case on education diversity policies. Uh, the Supreme Court last week turned down a challenge to the admissions policy at a prestigious uh, Virginia high school. I didn't go to prestigious high school, Nadia. Did you go to prestigious high school? I went to a prestigious um, public school. No, I didn't. <laughs> I went to just a public school in my, yeah, in my town. Well, uh, so this, uh, this uh, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology is one of the top public high schools in the country. And oh, okay. uh, so they, the, the Supreme Court declined to take an appeal of students and parents challenging the admissions policies there. Uh, the court leaves intact a lower court decision upholding the admissions criteria. So what happened here oh. is the high school looked at its admissions policies in 2020. Eh? Not in 2020. After the they murder realized, Floyd or before the murder? Certainly the after. Right. They realized we don't have many black students. We don't have many Hispanic, Latina students. So they did a really good job of implementing what they said were race-neutral admissions policies, right? So uh, instead of taking the top test scores, they, they admitted the top students from each public middle school. And they considered things like socioeconomic status, immigrants or language capabilities, the area that their middle schools were in. Uh, so, you know, race and gender was not considered. And so what the court, you know, deciding not to take a look at this shows that even if there are restrictions on, uh, you know, on race within in terms of admissions policies, a really well formulated and crafted policy that, you know, attempts to be race neutral uh, it can be very effective. 
right? And so mm-hmm. even though so they didn't drop their standards of like uh, grades or like academic. Well, it, we we don't know if the, if the incoming policy uh, changed what the outcome was there, okay. but it, it changed the mix of students, right? And so you know, you know again, it's up to your point. If someone uh, is the top student at a school, which is in, you know, where they have to be, deal with very different problems on a day-to-day basis as to other sure. students, then, sure. uh, you know, that was considered, right? So they may okay. uh, have lower academic performance, but think about all the other things that they bring to that particular student body. And so, right. um, so yeah, so I, mean, I think that, you know, well-considered proxies, well-formulated equity policies are going to be really important going forward. Samuel Alito was not having this. He is, oh, he was is not upset happy, huh? about this. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there were several other on that. Uh, Samuel Alito is still judge. pissed off about this. He's just sitting on his couch somewhere just pissed off about this. But... Writing memos. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Does this set a precedence? Like what? I don't know enough to like, what does this mean for other high schools? It means that they're not taking up this particular case. And I assume that, that uh, advocates for uh, the destruction of affirmative action policies in higher education and in education in general will be back with other cases. But at least for now, I think mm-hmm. this shows a path for organizations and schools that want to be more equitable in admissions policies or hiring policies that race neutral policies, well-crafted, well-considered can be effective and can stand up to some legal challenges. Yeah, that's okay. That's great input right there. Awesome. All right, well, let's take a quick break, Nadia, on Inclusive Collective, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. Nadia, what's next? All right, Rob. So according to Business Insider, Paul Judge and Marcelo Clear, uh, Clear, I could be saying that incorrectly, um, have announced plans to raise a $200 million fund, dollar fund after buying SoftBank's Open Opportunity Fund. So Marcelo, a technology entrepreneur investor, is returning to the Open Opportunity Fund as vice chairman and general partner. In 2020, SoftBank Group, um, which is called SoftBank, launched the South um, SoftBank Opportunity Fund to invest in underrepresented founders, Marcelo was a founding member of the fund while he was CEO of SoftBank Group International. In less than three years, SoftBank successfully incubated the Opportunity Fund and deployed the initial $100 million into 75 Black and Latino-led companies. They went to, they really, both of them want to back companies in the fintech, health, tech, and tech spaces. Just wanted to highlight that story. Any reactions? You know, I had a, we're going to, we're going to rant, I'll give away my rant, but you know, I had a sinking feeling that reading this, um, you know, not for the fact that they're doing this. I thought, mm, you know, we've had a couple of, <laughs> we've had a couple of, yeah, we've had a couple of venture capitalists on this show that invest mm-hmm. in uh, Latinx founders. And I was thinking about the lawsuits against the Fearless Fund, the women owned fund that was sued out of Atlanta. And I was thinking that this, you know, release like this uh, puts a target on these gentlemen's backs, right? For some of these uh, advocacy groups, right? So he even says in the piece, they have a soft commitment from SoftBank. And so that means it hasn't closed, right? And so there's still an opportunity for some of the investors to pull out. Sure. It's amazing. Uh, obviously, we know this is a drastically underfunded segment. So I wish them the absolute best. They're doing incredible work. Yeah. And again, Nadia, there has to be a counteroffensive on this, on this stuff, right? On these lawsuits. So if a private equity firm or a venture capital firm with all white leadership has no investments in non-white 
male led companies, someone needs to sue them, right? Like they, they right. need to sue them. Yeah. And there has to be a progressive billionaire willing to throw some cash at this problem and defend the frivolous lawsuits coming the other way. Because I, I, you know, so mm -hmm. we've just seen a lot of it. We've seen that uh, some of these these uh, organizations that are that are suing folks that are investing in underrepresented founders are increasing their fundraising and increasing their war chests. And totally. so there has to be a counteroffensive. And I think there's an opportunity here for someone to have a really large impact if they're willing to spend some money. Don't hire Rob as your lawyer, but <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely agree. Um, I, you know, for I think um, just j just to touch upon what these two fellows are really looking to do, like the the fund for them, the fund's focus is like deeply personal. Both of these folks experienced firsthand the difficulties of raising capital um, as entrepreneurs of color. Um, so, you know, this article kind of went on to say that they personally don't want um, other people to experience the same thing. And so for, they're really looking forward for the next generation of startup founders to have the experience and opportunity to um, have funds to be able to, you know, do the things that they're they're dreaming to do. Um, and it just goes back to your point that like we're we're not seeing um, a high number of uh, marginalized founders and entrepreneurs receive the funding and secure funding. And so this is an opportunity for that to be the case. So I do also wish these two folks well. Um, and yeah, like yeah. someone needs to, someone needs to turn around and start suing the, uh, opposition here. Yeah. And if people want to, <laughs> if people want to, uh, hear some of those stories of how difficult it is for underrepresented founders and startups and venture capital, check out season one of inclusive collective where we, Absolutely. <laughs> where we have yeah. a lot of those founder stories as well Yeah, um, we sh from we women showcase. and from, uh, and, and from folks that are otherwise typically underrepresented in venture capital and startups. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So Nadia, this is going to be a fun one. This is for you. I think you're going to be excited. There's a new backer of diversity, which has entered the fray, and they have found that diversity has made their organization more successful and what? that they can appeal <laughs> to a wider audience if they're more representative. Any guesses on who this, this mysterious organization could be? I don't know, like the DNC? No. <laughs> Close. But we're talking about the Republicans. Yes. Oh. The Republicans. Uh, Representative Richard Hudson, the chairman of the Republican uh, Congressional Committee, had oh. recently listed for reporters a slew of candidates that he described as fitting the formula for the GOP, expanding their ranks come this next election cycle. Talking about their success in 2022, he says, we beat 15 Democrats and every one of those we beat with a woman, minority candidate, or a veteran, he says. That's really the playbook for the last two cycles. And so we're using that same formula. Okay. He goes on. It just, I'm sorry, it just keeps getting better. The motivation is we want our Congress to reflect America. And we believe that if we have dynamic candidates with compelling life stories, uh, then they can win in any district because they're not generic Republicans. He said all of this while you had pointed out earlier, Republican lawmakers in at least 17 states have proposed some three dozen bills to restrict or require public disclosure or the elimination of DEI. Nadia. Little, what just happened? Little, <laughs> So how do you feel about hypocrisy? <laughs> That's, you know, I think like in all honesty, this actually just goes to show that we like can't put people into boxes 
because I d- I was not expecting you to say <laughs> like the Republican side of the House is recruiting for uh, candidates that have diverse backgrounds. So very interesting. It is definitely hypocrisy. But like, again, we can't put everyone into a box just because you identify as a Republican doesn't mean you align to these like extreme MAGA like, you know, narratives that they are uh, or rhetoric that they're claiming. Well, I don't know, you know, these particular candidates that they're running. I don't, I, I don't, I would, I don't I would know assume this person. They, so. <laughs> they may actually be, they may actually be mega Republicans, but uh, I, I think it just speaks to the fact that we talked about earlier is that you can't run away from reality. You can't run away uh, of from the representation authentic of representation. America. Yeah, and totally. it's like, great. You, you want to rail against diversity, equity, inclusion. You want to pass laws against it. And then uh, at the same time, you realize and how then benefit important it is to success. <laughs> yeah. And so right. um, I, hey, I was, let them do it. That's great. No, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's a it's a it's a it's a fabulous thing. So uh, congratulations yeah. to the Republicans uh, for finding <laughs> their religion in diversity, equity and inclusion on this particular issue. All right. Yes. Nadia, let's Love take a that. quick break. Let's come back with rants and raves. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. Okay, Rob, it's that time for Rants and Raves. Um, you have a rant for us this week. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't going to. And okay. then I just I just caught this uh, just as we started as we started recording. It has, uh, you know, again, same, same topic. It's been six months since conservative groups began suing companies uh, and investment firms that offer grant programs exclusively to historically disadvantaged groups, one of which is, as we talked about earlier, the Fearless Fund. Um, and so the CEO, Arian Simone, revealed in an interview with Inc. that conservative strategy is essentially working and that her organization is on the ropes. The firm had oh, launched wow. in 2019 and they grew to a team of 19. They have scaled back to six. Uh, and because, oh. uh, as the CEO says, you know, they've lost millions of dollars. They have, uh, you know, obviously spent a lot of time and energy and effort in mm-hmm. uh, defending against these frivolous lawsuits and it's really impacting their operations. And so, you know, just contrast that the founders of the Fearless Fund, who have dedicated their life to lifting up others versus the soulless person behind the lawsuits, which in this case is Edward Bloom, who's made it his life's work to destroy affirmative action and to bring others down. So, sorry, I had to had to point that out. Yeah, that's a freaking bummer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, a, yeah, that's definitely a downer. Yes. Um, I'm sorry to hear yes. that. Too. Counteroffensive. Counteroffensive. Yeah. Okay, well, let me uh, provide a rave here. So I wanted to say congratulations to our parent company, Rafilion Media. It was announced last week that they will be world premiering their film, Ramadan America, um, at South by Southwest Film Festival next month in Austin, Texas um, at the Muslim House. Ramadan America is an anthology of five independent short narrative films with um, unique characters themed around Ramadan and Eid, the two biggest holidays in the Islamic religion. And um, all the short films are written by, directed by, and starring American Muslims. So just really cool and um, can't wait to watch it and for other people to watch it. Um, So yeah, check it out when... You're available to yeah go to go to when, South by when Southwest. It's available. <laughs> go yeah. to Austin. Either go to <laughs> yeah. Check them out online though. There is definitely like social media pages for Ramadan America. 
um, we'll we'll provide them also. And you'll be in Austin, links. right? I will be in Austin be in checking Austin. out the film. Really excited. He's Amazing. Really been you should let our listeners know where they can meet you. You should have some sort of a meet and greet. The, mu- the Muslim house. The Muslim house. <laughs> awesome. There's, awesome. Yeah. Well, you can check out the South by Southwest website uh, for more information yeah. if you're in the area and want to hit it up. We're very, we're very excited for, uh, for everyone involved. So yeah, super, super exciting. Can't wait to see it. Um, Nadia, thanks for that. Uh, I think that's going to do it for Inclusive Collective. So this is a reminder that if you're looking for DEI and workplace culture strategy consulting, problem solving, or training, you can reach Nadia at Nadia at NazConsults.com and Rob at Rob at TacanoConsulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Affiliate Media of Ramadan America fame, and it is edited by RMFA. We'd love to hear from you. Please, please, can you hear it in my voice? Send us your feedback at Collective at Refilion.com. Find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Be sure to follow up on LinkedIn so you can subscribe to the IC Monthly Newsletter. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and rate wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again to my friend, partner, Nadia Butt. We'll be back. <laughs> One of many Nadia Butts in Massachusetts. We'll be back next week. Be well. One of many. That's funny.